This is my father's world, and to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world. I Why? 
God reigns, let the earth be glad. The Lord is King, let the heavens ring. God reigns, let the earth be Good morning. Welcome to worship. I'm going to read Psalm. I don't know what number it is. It's a psalm for the dedication of the temple by David. I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What, I, what is gained <clears throat> if I am silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. Let's pray. Grant, we pray, almighty God, that as we believe your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to have ascended into heaven, so we may also in heart and mind there ascend and with him continually dwell who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. are the days of Elijah, declaring the word of the Lord. And these are the days of your servant, Moses, righteousness being restored. And though these are days of great trials, of famine and darkness and sword, Still we are the voice in the desert, crying, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Behold, he comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun at the trumpet call. Lift your voice, 
It's a year of jubilee Out of Zion till salvation comes These are the days of Ezekiel The dry bones becoming as flesh and these are the days of your servant David rebuilding the temple of praise. And these are the days of the harvest. The fields are as wide in the world. And we are the laborers in your vineyard declaring the word of the Lord. Behold, he comes riding on the clouds shining like the sun at the trumpet call lift your voice it's a year of jubilee out of zion's hill salvation comes there's no god like jehovah there's no God like Jehovah. 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 There's no behold, he comes riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. At the trumpet call, lift your voice. It's a year of jubilee. Out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. Behold, he comes. Riding on the clouds, shining like the sun, at the trumpet call, lift your voice. It's a year of jubilee, out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. Blessed be your name. 
Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glory. Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on thee, when the world's all as it should be. Blessed be your name. And blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering. Blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your glory. give and take away my heart will choose to say lord blessed be your name reading from ephesians chapter 5 for you were once darkness but now you are light in the lord Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is, a shameful, it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's God's word. Thou found of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. 
James chapter 5. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. 
the word of the Lord. Confess your sins to one another. That's the sermon and that's the application. So turn to the person next to you and confess your deepest and darkest sins. The end. You know, it's, it's amazing the ways in which we take these simple teachings and make them complicated. Um, Bonhoeffer in this chapter, and this is um, the most, I think, controversial chapter of the book because he literally wants Christians to take their sins to one another and confess them to each other. Now, it was controversial for the community in Germany that he started this with. People were not excited about that. But this is Bonhoeffer encouraging us to confess our sins to one another. I remember when I was in college and I had um, grown in my appreciation for wider Christian streams, although I don't think I was ever super close. And I was talking to my uncle, um, and we were talking about Catholics, and he was like, you know, Catholics are so bad because they think they need to confess to a priest, um, and they don't just confess to Jesus. And I said to him, I was like, well, there, I agree with you to some extent, but there's that is that we are supposed to confess to one another from James. And he looked at me like I was insane. Um, uh, confess your sins to one another. Um, there it is in black and white for us. And it's interesting because the Pope showed up again this time during the coronavirus in which you can't go to confessions anymore. And so he said that you can confess your sins directly to God. And Protestants everywhere rejoiced. Um, uh, you can imagine Martin Luther saying, huge if true, huge if true, you can confess your sins directly to God. I don't know if they've ever denied that you could confess your sins directly to God, but the Pope said you can confess your sins directly to God during this time. But not to be outdone, by the way, many Catholics found um, Martin Luther saying that the, the gift of confession, of private confession to another believer, is in his mind close to a third sacrament. Uh, so Luther himself is not quite as far down that road as we might think. He still thinks that there's a beauty and a place for us to be able to confess these sins aloud. This brings us to the last chapter in life together. We've heard in that first sermon and that first about what the gift of community is for us and how it's not an invention of our own but comes to us as a gift from God. It is a grace for us. In the second sermon, Christ, uh, or we heard from Bonhoeffer, about how to celebrate the day together. And I, I mentioned that that might be, this is the most controversial, that one might be the most challenging, because what Bonhoeffer does in that passage is he takes um, your quiet time, your scripture reading, your morning hours, and says that that belongs in community in some ways, to read and do it together, to share that time. Oftentimes, it's, it's when we set aside the time to do that, whether it's family or it's married couples um, or even singles, is, is that we just don't find the realm to do that together. Um, I think the day together is a good way for us to look at our Sunday mornings, but in a hope that these disciplines press out into our lives. The next one we heard about the day alone, which is something we classically do, but Bonhoeffer there doesn't want us to just store up knowledge and read more and more, but to sit in silence and wait to hear from the Lord. Many of us sit in silence and we hope to hear from our iPhone. Um, 
but to take the time to sit and wait and to hear from the Lord and to use scriptures as the background of that. And then even have prayer, intercessory prayer, make up a big part of that time. And the next time, chapter and the next time we talked about service and ministry. What does it mean to be in service and ministry to each other and the community? Bonhoeffer sets up this great way, and it's, and it's the, the word, the, the passage that it started with is that there was a reasoning among them over who should be the greatest. He said that this is where many communities will fall and fail when this reasoning arises. Who will be the greatest in this community? And what he guided us to is these ways of, of, of it's, it's, I thought it was classic, it was funny in the way that like the first one was like, don't talk. <laughs> And don't talk about believers when they're not there. And then the last one is, do talk. Speak the word to one another. Proclaim God's goodness to one another. Call one another into the world of Scripture. That this, that this final thing was actually to talk, but we had to learn to sit in silence, to find out who we are and make meekness, to sort of hold back before we could just sort of begin speaking the word to one another. But that being the final goal of that one. And today brings us to confession and the Lord's Supper, of confessing our sins to one another. Bonhoeffer at the beginning of this chapter says, The one alone in sin is utterly alone. That sin makes us lonely. I wanted to read the opening because I think he's holding together two tensions that we exist in our Christian communities. Confess your sins to one another. Those who remain alone with their evil are left utterly alone. It is possible that Christians may remain lonely in spite of daily worship together, prayer together, and all their community through service. That the final breaking through to community does not occur precisely because they enjoy, they enjoy community with one another as pious believers, but not with one another as those lacking piety, as sinners. For the pious community permits no one to be a sinner. Hence, all have to conceal their sins from themselves and from the community. We are not allowed to be sinners. Many Christians would be unimaginably horrified if a real sinner were suddenly to show up among the pious. So we remain alone in our sin, trapped in lies and hypocrisy, for we are in fact sinners. However, the grace of the gospel, which is hard for the pious to comprehend, confronts us with the truth. It says to us, you are a sinner, a great unholy sinner. Now come as the sinner that you are to your God who loves you. For God wants you as you are, not desiring anything from you, a sacrifice of good deeds, but rather desiring you alone. My child, give me your heart, Proverbs 23, 26. God has come to you through the sinner. God has come to make you the sinner blessed. Rejoice. This is the liberation through truth. You cannot hide from God. The mask you wear in the presence of other people won't get you anywhere in the presence of God. God wants to see you as you are, wants to be gracious to you. You do not have to go on lying to yourself and to other Christians as if you were without sin. You are allowed to be a sinner. Thank God for that. God loves the sinner and hates the sin. 
What Bonhoeffer lays out is that many a community can't handle the sinner amongst them. And so we live utterly alone. But what he also says is that we can't even tell the truth about ourselves, and that inhibits uh, the ability for us to hear the truth from God. Come to me. Give me your heart. There's a, almost as if we don't understand that God already knows anyways. We're like Adam and Eve in the garden trying to hide from the infinite mystery. Confess your sins to one another. But what I think is shocking about this is if you read that first paragraph and first chapter, is what happens is you begin to say, yes, Christian communities can be too holy. We should accept one another and we should be great to one another. But then he wants you to confess your sins to one another. There's this way in which he is, he's making it more free for the community to have sinners amongst it. In fact, all the community is made up of sinners in Bonhoeffer's mind. And yet at the same time, he's saying, great, let's be honest with one another. So as Christ came to us in his person and took on our sin, so we can go to one another, the fellow believer, and confess our sin to one another. Now, before we go too far in this, the first thing I want to say is that this was a part of this intentional community experiment. So lots of the sin you might have to confess to one another is not just that big, secret, dark sin that you've been hiding from your whole life or that, that sin that you don't want anybody to touch. You, can, you might have a more expansive definition area of sin against fellow Christians if we lived a lot closer together. Um, so-and-so has really been annoying me. So-and-so I have a hard time praying for for them to succeed. Uh, so-and-so is, is, um, is making it difficult for me to hear myself sing on Sunday morning. Um, you know, you can, you can imagine that there are much more ways to think about sin when you're closer together. The second is, is, is before, you know, everybody jumps on and confesses their sins to one another. There was a great professor I had in seminaries, a psychologist, and he said that it was, it was God who provided the skins for Adam and Eve after they, they're sort of cast out from the garden. And in some sense, there are some things that we just don't walk around just always hanging out. And there's a sense, and I've pastored long enough, that there's a little bit of unhealth with people who do want to just walk around with those. It's like walking around naked. Um, just saying, this is what it is, this is what it is, is that there's some things that are reserved for the intimacy of close friendship. There are some things that are reserved for the intimacy of marriage. There are some things that are reserved for the intimacy of a pastor to a congregant to be confessed. They don't need to be projected for all the world to hear. Because God has protected us in our shame to some degree. And yet, that should not be an excuse not to confess at all. It should not be an excuse to keep all our sin hidden from one another. Because in the presence of another Christian, he says, we are no longer alone. We no longer find ourselves to be alone. We had two passages read for us, actually three. The psalm that says um, that Park read that says that, that weeping will come for the night, but that joy comes in the morning. Carlo read for us the instruction from James to confess to one another and to, and to sort of be with one another in this journey towards holiness. And, and Brian read from us this favorite passage of mine when I think about this from Ephesians, which is that um, 
For once you were in darkness, but now you are light. Live as children of the light and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitful deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That while we sit in our darkness trapped, and we can't name the reality of our sins, we are utterly alone and in darkness. And one of the joys, I think, of this whole passage in, in Scripture is to say to bring those things out to the life cuts, brings us back to community, brings us back to life, and almost defangs the power there. When you battle alone in darkness by yourself, it's hard to imagine that you're going to get anywhere. But should you bring those things to the light, they become illuminated and they become light. And that perhaps might be our path to freedom. Because in confession, Bonhoeffer says, we find grace. Now, one of the, the later warnings he said is, who should you confess to? First off, don't fest, confess to anyone who doesn't confess to someone. Which I love because oftentimes in, in my pastoral life, people have come to me and said, you know, I told my deepest dark sin to somebody who I thought was great and good, and all they did was judge me and cut me off. See, without a practice of, of regularly doing this, of who's knowing who's doing this, then you begin to think the people who don't do it at all are doing the best. Whereas Bonhoeffer wants to suggest perhaps the people not doing it all aren't doing so well after all. And even if he's wrong, he thinks that it's part of in this interchange of saying, here I am a sinner, here I am a sinner too, that we can find grace for one another. It's not for one to be greater than the other from the last chapter. You confess, but I only listen to your confession. That we go into this together and that this is a, a common phrase that's used all the time, but at the, the, the foot of the cross, it's all level anyways. There is no one who stands higher at the foot of the cross. And what we begin to appreciate, I think, in in understanding confession is both God's no and God's yes to us. We talked about this before in this sort of uh, theological thing that happens, becomes popular out this time, is that God has a resounding no because of the fall and throughout the universe, because of the way in which it has deformed and de destroyed and maimed creation. And yet through God's election in Jesus Christ, there is a yes that resounds all the more and goes deeper than the no itself. There is this tendency within Christianity to keep the no and yes intention as if they're equal things. But what Bonhoeffer and, and his, his mentor to some degree, Bart, want to say is that the yes is deeper and stronger than the no even then. That God's desire for us to be reconciled, for new creation to come, is deeper than our ability to make a no. The good news is stronger than the bad news. And so Bonhoeffer wants to suggest for us, and I think is true, that through confession we actually break through to three, four different things. First, we break through to community. So we talked, sin wants to be left in the dark where its power can grow. But when you pull those things out, you break through to community in a whole new way. You break through a kind, to a kindness to one another. 
you break through in discovering that you too are surrounded by sinners, that we can love and support one another, that we can hear and defang the darkness. He says that here, and I think this is wise, is that there's a, there's a struggle here for, I think, us in the modern world, but in the first sense is we lose our self-justifying power when you come to somebody and confess your sin. Which, first off, like, Bonhoeffer's pretty pessimistic about the human condition, but people can go pretty quickly from here's what I've done wrong to like, wait, wait, no, don't go that far down that road. We, we still try to t- self-justify pretty fast. But I think the second thing is, is that in our world, um, I think there's this temptation to say that the people who can do that can somehow gain power. It's not hard to think of somebody who says, look, here how, how open I am. And then people begin to respect that. But the thing is not to respect the sin. You can respect the openness and transparency. But there's a tendency, I think, and I've seen this some, for people to abuse this and to say, look, I'm so open about all the ways in which I'm wrong. But it's like you're not... You're more like throwing up on all of us than you are confessing and and seeking community here. And in our dimness, we can begin to think, well, that person is wise, but perhaps we might be able to think, well, they're crying for help, but we as a community need to find a way to actually help them um, to determine that. But we lose our self-justification and we join the community of sinners. This is the breakthrough to community. He says the second thing is we break through to the cross. Now, many Christians today wear crosses. We have a cross up in our sanctuary. Um, and these are all good things. But it's, it shouldn't be lost on us that, that if we were first or second century Romans, this would be a little bit about like um, wearing an electric chair around and hanging an electric chair up in your sanctuary. Is that, and this is Paul's struggle in the beginning of Corinthians, is that the, the cross is foolishness to, to some people and a stumbling block to others. Um, it should be hard to look at the cross. And so what he says is we break through to the cross, but I think for us it's like that's where we want to be with Jesus. But the cross is the object of our humiliation against God. It's the place which Christ goes to as scorned. It is a place of darkness, but it is there which we are able to break through because we join Christ in his humiliation. As we confess our sins and say which darkness is within us, we can actually join Christ at the cross, not as a sinner, but as one who has gone to the darkest of humanity. He says there, too, that the old self can die a painful death here. The one which pulls us back, the one of sin, can be left at this spot. As we're freed from pride and joined with Jesus at the cross. But not to leave us there, he says the third breakthrough is the breakthrough to new life. That joy comes in the morning. Weeping only lasts for the night. That the power is broken at this moment. That in participating in God's yes here, we're renewed in more ways than none. It's the gift of the resurrection. It's, it's so often, and this was one of the struggles I think I had in my, my early Christian life, is that we talked about the cross and the forgiveness that was offered very much, but it was almost like the Easter was an after effect. 
Um, your sin is buried at the cross. Your sin, your sins are forgiven at the cross. All these things at the cross. And I think you never want to underestimate the place of the cross in Christian salvation. And yet it is the resurrection, the breaking forth of the tombs of death that defeats the powers of sin and darkness and destruction. We're not left there as saying, well, you have community in that, but we have community in new life and new creation in the God that only allows it to last the night for the joy that comes in the morning. What he says here, too, is that the power of sin is often broken here. And that baptism is renewed for us. I know we talk about it often here, but I think one of the greatest challenges of the Christian life today is reclaiming our baptismal identity. That we both belong to an old self that was descended into waters of death and chaos, and we belong even deeper and truer to Christ in a new self that was raised from the waters into new life from the resurrection that God himself inaugurated when he resurrected Jesus from the dead. That we exist in both those spaces gives us grace for us, but also gives us power and good news for us. We join God in new life. The final thing he says is we join in assurance. We break through to insurance. And he has a challenge, and it's a challenge that was a, still a challenge for me as I reread the chapter this week. But he says that often in our big confessions, which we do here at church, and which I hope we can take with seriousness, and we do take with seriousness, is, is sometimes, in our, and even in our Christian life, we're often just confessing to ourselves. And he says the reason why it seems like we're confessing to ourselves and not God often the time is because we don't break through to the assurance and to the good news. We just stay stuck in the patterns. It's not surprising that as a pastor and i'm sure as christians you've heard often people come to you and say i keep confessing this to god and i keep confessing this to god and yet it seems to remain paul has something like that as well and yet he says that perhaps sometimes we're just confessing it to ourselves and that we need to lean on help from god he says that it's odd that we would find it easier to confess to an almighty and holy god who doesn't know sin we find that easier than confessing to someone who knows sin intimately with us. And I think that shows some of, um, and, I mean, I, oh, I, I say this often, but like sermons are my self-confessions in some ways too, so I'm talking about myself here. Don't just think it's you guys. But we often, um, that's maybe part of the reason why we know it's, we're going to just a, a projected version of ourselves rather than to God because it seems so easy. Whereas if I were to go to Kelly or a good friend or somebody else I knew to confess my sin, it would be painful. There would be brokenness that I would be confessing there and there would be a binding that happens in the friendship there too. And yet sometimes when I throw it off to God, it's just like kicking it into a garbage can and just saying, oh, I'll just keep going forward. It would suggest that we're not dealing with the power of God appropriately there. It should be a challenge as well. It should be a lament and anguish. But in that, what we get is the assurance that we are not alone. We experience God and the other if we confess to others. And what happens is it brings it to light, as we heard in the Ephesians reading. And here we find the goodness of God. 
He goes on after the breakthroughs to talk about how in the front of another Christian, I can be a sinner. I can be honest about what I am. He's, Bonhoeffer's father was a psychologist, and he said, I don't know what he's working through here with his father, but he says, in front of a psychologist, I'm just a person with a problem. I'm sick. But in front of a, sin, in front of a Christian, I can be a sinner. And in our professionalization of confession in the modern world, which we don't do with priests, but we do with psychologists or other people we can come, pay to come and hear our story, and those might be a help to us on the way of curing and stuff like that. But with another Christian who stands side by side with us, we can both be sinners together. And God's community can be formed anew. The chapter ends with Bonhoeffer saying, this brings us to the joy of the Lord's Supper. That in being renewed in our confession, in being renewed with one another, we come to the meal of the body of him. We commune with God. Here he says, it's the community that reaches its goal. What's annoying but also somewhat true at this point is that the words fall flat. 95% of this chapter has been taken up with confession. But he says, in communion, we reach its goal. It's almost um, like love stories, right? Uh, maybe not actually what qualifies as a love story today. But um, that there's, a, there's so much challenge and anguish and battle trying to get there. And then when that consummation comes, the book begins to tail off. It's, it's 5% of the book. It's 8% of the book or a short part of the movie. And in some sense to say is that when you reach that goal, your journey is complete and rest is in the end. That for us in communion of being with God and meeting with God in the bread and the wine, it's not about more toil or more story or more narrative, but about us coming to the one who was crucified for our sake, raised for our sake, and who invites us into the journey of new life together. Let us pray. That through your son and through his life, we've been brought into community of people who are like us. people who are proud, people who are selfish, people who deal with envy, hatred, meanness, self-centeredness, boredom, lying, lust, and stinginess. And you bring us to new life. It's a prayer I want to share that I often think of that gracious God, humble us through the violence of your love so that we are able to know and confess our sins. We want our sins to be interesting, but God forgive us, they are so ordinary. Envy, hatred, meanness, prideness, self-centeredness, lazy, boredom, lying, lust, stinginess, and so on. You have saved us from and so on to be a royal people able to witness to the world that the powers that make us such ordinary sinners have been defeated. So capture our attention with the beauty of your life, that the ugliness may be seen 
The ugliness of sin may be seen as just that, ugly. God, how wonderful it is to be captivated by you. Amen. Christ, the sure and steady anchor in the fury of the storm. When the winds of doubt blow through me and my sails have all been torn. In the suffering, in the sorrow, when my sinking hopes are few. the sure and steady anchor while the tempest rages on when temptation claims the battle and it seems the night has won deeper still then goes the anchor though I justly stand accused the sure and steady anchor, though the floods of unbelief, hopeless somehow, oh my soul now, lift your eyes to Calvary, this my ballast of assurance, see his love forever prove. the sure and steady anchor as we face the wave of death when these trials give way to glory and we draw our final breath we will sure cross the great horizon clouds behind and life secure storms that Christ the shore of our salvation ever faithful ever true we will hold fast to the anchor it shall never be Now is our time of confession in which we practice corporately. 
It is this time in which we talk to God and confess the ways in which we have turned aside. I often try to suggest that the practices we do together in worship are meant to be broken out into our days and into our lives. That we hear from scripture, that we open our worship with the psalm, we open our days with the psalm, that we um, spend time in silence, that we pray for the concerns of the world, that each of these doesn't just live here in the church service, but bleeds out into the world. Perhaps with the challenge we heard today, confession which resides here can also bleed into our lives, and we can turn to the fellow Christian and confess to one another outside of this time in a way in which we can be joined together. For if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In humility and faith, let us confess our sin to God. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Help us amend what we are and direct what we shall be so that we may walk will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Let us hear the good news. Who is in a position to condemn? Only Christ. And Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ prays for us. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life has gone. A new life has begun. Know that you are forgiven and be at peace. Amen. And we don't just confess our sins, but we also confess the faith together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the light everlasting. Amen.
Christ we offer all that he has offered the perfect offering Christ is the life of the Respond, we offer thanksgiving and sharing and prayers to God. Let us pray together. Holy God, you have called us to follow in the ways of your risen Son and to care for those who are companions, not only with words of comfort, but with acts of love, seeking to be true friends of all. We offer our prayers and thanks behalf of the church and the world. God, we lift up to a world in sickness. Both in the sickness to sin and death and destruction. May your goodness and truth radiate out from your places of worship and the people you have called God, but we also come to you in this time of the virus, and we pray that you would be with those who care for those suffering, that you would be near to those who are caught in this sickness and comfort them, that you would be a special comfort to those who have been called to die alone during this time. 
and that you may hasten and bring about the shortening of this time so that your people and your world may rejoice in you again. God, we pray for those struggling with unemployment, with depression and anxiety, for those who have been called to return to their homes, but goodness doesn't reside there. Pray that you may comfort and be a strength to all of us during this time. And we pray for those who are lonely shut in. For those at risk and who are fearful and anxious during this time. That'd be nearer to us all. And yet, God, this is a Sunday in which we can give thanks for the gift of your creation, for the gift of new life. What appears like a receding tide on this sickness, for the beauty of today. God, allow us not to lose sight of your gifts and goodness during this time. Bring us to thanks and praise for you for the gift of each day, for that mercy that comes every morning, for that joy that comes in the morning. Allow us to rest in you. And so we close with the prayer that he taught us to pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not to temptation, deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.